Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Actually, a verse in the Bible that says we should remove ourselves from culture. I don't know if you realize that. I know some Christians, they actually think that God told them to not mix with the culture. That's why we have uh, certain groups like the Amish, for example, the, the Quakers, and, and they, they remove themselves from the the everyday culture, even from modern life. Um, if you go to Pennsylvania in the U.S., for example, you can still see them, you know, riding their horse and buggy. Uh, they don't want to drive cars and things like that. They don't celebrate Easter. They don't celebrate Christmas because they think it is not good for followers of Jesus to mix with the culture. But Jesus actually told us, no, we got to mix with culture. In fact, one of his prayers before he went back to his heavenly father was, uh, asking God not to remove ourselves from the culture. Even though we're not of this world, we are to remain in the world and shine some light and be salt and light where we are, right? Salt and light, they're no good if you just keep them to, them to yourself. But salt and light is only good if you actually go out there and shine some light in the, into this dark world and, and, and just give flavor to everyday life that we live in, right? So that's why we do this series, and I'm very excited about that. How many of you actually have seen Spider-Man? Can I see a show of hand? This last one, uh, No Way Home. Well, if you haven't seen it, this is definitely recommended by me. It's one of the best movies that ever uh, came out of 2022. Uh, IMD, IMDb rating is very, very high for this movie, 8.4 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes as well, 93%. And it has won numerous awards as well. Critics' Choice for Best Superhero Movie, Best Actor in Superhero Movie, Best Actress, Best Villain, and also... Uh, winning the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects as well. For those of you who have not seen it yet, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it too much for you, but I'd like to give you a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. Uh, the movie started with Spider-Man's identity being revealed for the whole world, putting his family and friends in danger. In fact, his good friends, Ned and MJ, they couldn't get into MIT because of their association with Spider-Man. So in desperation, Peter Parker turns to Doctor Strange to make the world forget that he is actually Spider-Man. But during the spell, Spider-Man, Peter Parker kept interrupting, so the spell goes wrong and accidentally bringing these powerful villains who fought with Spider-Man from parallel universe, parallel realities, uh, within the multiverse into their world, right? That's what happened. Of course, you cannot let these villains roam around freely in your world. And Doctor Strange, thanks to Doctor Strange, he has a solution to this problem. Doctor Strange tells Peter Parker, if you can capture these villains, I can literally send them back to their home with just a push of a button, all right? But there's a catch. If they do that, these villains are going to die fighting Spider-Man from their own world. And so, a uh, friendly neighborhood superhero has a dilemma. What is he going to do with this situation? I'm going to show you this clip and then I'm going to come back because this clip basically sets up the whole movie. Okay? Let's enjoy this. What happened to you? What happened to me? 
You're the walking corpse. What do you mean? You died, Norman, years ago. You're insane. God, I love it here. What are you talking about? He's standing right there. He's not. Dead. They both died fighting Spider-Man. It was all over the news. Green Goblin impaled by the glider you flew around on. And a couple of years later, you, Doc Ock, drowned in the river with your machine. That's nonsense. Spider-Man was trying to stop my fusion reactor. So I stopped him. I had him by the throat. And then I... And then I was here. Oh, please. Let me tell you something. I was whooping Spider-Man. And then he caused the overload. I was stuck in the grid, absorbing data. I was about to turn into pure energy. And then, and then, uh, and then, I was about to die. Max, do you know, do I die? Oh, great, you caught another no, one. No, 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 wait, Strange, he's not good. Oh. It's okay, um, what is that? It's an ancient relic, the Machina de Cadavis. We've trapped your corrupted spell inside, and once I finish the proper ritual, it'll reverse the spell and send these guys back to their universes. And then what? We perish? No, no thanks. I'll pass on that. Let me out of here. Peter! Strange. We can't send them back. Not yet. Why? Oh, some of these guys are gonna die. Parker. It's their fate. Come on, Strange, have a heart. In the grand calculus of the multiverse, their sacrifice means infinitely more than their lives. I'm sorry, kid. If they die, they die. I'm sorry, kid. If they die, they die. So here we have two opposing views of what should happen. Spider-Man doesn't want to send these villains to their death. And Doctor Strange thinks what will be, will be. We should leave these people to their fate. Um, that nature takes its course. So the question is, who's right and who's wrong? Well, Spider-Man thinks that these people deserve a second chance. And he actually goes ahead and does it at great danger to himself and to his family and to his friends. And that whole act from Spider-Man shows a lot of grace and a lot of mercy on his part. And that's basically the whole movie without spoiling it any further for you. And this morning, I just want to pose you with a couple of questions that I think are very important for us to ask ourselves as we move about our lives, right? Uh, just like Janine said, you know, just going through the daily motions of life, uh, we, we don't really stop and think about these questions. And the first question that I want to pose to you this morning is this. It's very simple. Do people really deserve to be given a second chance? Now, the answer to this question is very simple for a lot of us. If it's us, yeah, 
for sure. We deserve a second chance. We would like to be given a second chance. And for some people that are around us, people that we love, people that we like, yeah, we don't mind them having second chances as well. They deserve them, right? We, we, we deserve second chances. I'm sure some people in this world deserve second chances as well. But, but, there's a but. Who else deserves a second chance? Does everyone deserve a second chance, including these nasty supervillains who kill a lot of people? Would you go all out to save the worst criminals in the history of mankind? Now, the question becomes a bit more difficult, doesn't it? It's not as simple anymore. If it's us, yeah, come on. I need, I need this second chance. But what about Electro, Green Goblin, Sandman, <laughs> Otto? Do they deserve a second chance? What's going to happen to the world if we give them a second chance? All right? Maybe we should just leave them to their fate. Maybe God should just leave humankind to their fate and not intervene. So when we look at this situation, I think it begs a question about the nature of man. Like, what is the real nature of man? Are we inherently good? Or are we inherently bad? If we are inherently good, maybe we deserve a second chance. If we're inherently bad, we need to be destroyed before we're making any more damage in this world, right? So if you look at these people, it's a bit confusing because they're not all bad. I mean, they didn't start off bad at least. For example, uh, Electro was Max. And Max was just a, a simple engineer who, who loved Spider-Man, actually. But there was a bit of a mishandshake. And there was a bit of a misunderstanding, loss of trust. And so Max became, through accident, unfortunately, but he became bad, not because he wanted to be bad. What about uh, Green Goblin? Doctor, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's Dr. Green Goblin's name? Somebody remind me. Norman, that's right. Norman Osborn. Yeah, I got that this morning. But Dr. Norman Osborn was a wonderful scientist, but one of his experiments went awry, and he turned to be the Green Goblin that, 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 that we know, right? What about Sandman? Sandman actually turned into a life of crime in order to pay medical treatment for his daughter. That's why he turned into a life of crime. Again, Otto is the same. He's a wonderful, well-meaning scientist uh, until the, the tentacle took over, right? So these people didn't start off bad. So again, the question is, what are we? When we talk about us, are we inherently good or bad? And some people said, no, we're inherently evil. Some others think we are inherently good. So I think it's best for us to look at what God says about who we are, right? And I believe with all my heart that we are actually inherently good, that you and I are inherently good. How do I know that? Is it a guess? Is it a, you know, like a theory? No, I don't think it's a guess. I don't think it's a theory. God told us from as early as the book of Genesis that we are made in His image. We are the only creation of God that are made in His image. Now tell me, if we are made in God's image, does that make us good or bad? If we are good. Even David, 
confirms that in one of his psalms. He said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I don't hate you. I don't curse you. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So for those of you who come here this morning thinking that you are bad, if you come here this morning thinking you're a failure, that you are a disappointment to your family, to God, to your church, to society, I'm here to tell you that you are inherently good. God created you not by accident. God made you on purpose. Even before you were born, God already knitted you when you were in your mother's womb so fearfully, so wonderfully, all right? So don't believe in all the lies that people tell you, don't believe in the lies that you tell yourself. A lot of us, we speak so badly about ourselves, you know. We wouldn't say those things that we say to ourselves to other people, but somehow it's okay for us, you know, to put ourselves down. You're so bad. You're so evil. You're so weak. You're just such a terrible person. You're such a disappointment. Man, stop doing that. That's an offense to God who created you so fearfully and so wonderfully. So what happened then? If we are inherently good, then what happened to us? Well, Paul told us what happened. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, a lot of people have understood this, and I've understood this to mean like, oh, we have fallen short of this ideal standard that God has set for us that, you know, like we disappoint God. When we don't meet this, this lofty standard. But I don't think that's how you should read this verse. When, we, when Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, then glory of God is wonderful, right? And we are made in His image. So what that means is, when we sin, because we have sinned, we fall short of the ideal that God has for us. You know, God has such, such high has such high hope for you and me, you know. We don't live up to the actual humanity that God wants us and knows that we can be, you know. And that's because of sin. We fall short of the ideal that God has for us, the desire, the great desire that God has for us. But thank God, Romans 3.23 is not the end of the story. It's not the end of our story. Just as all have sinned and fall short of God's Glory, all, and this is wonderful, all are justified freely by His grace through, redemp through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So, here's my point, all right? We are created in His image, we are created good, but sin happened. So, when we come to uh, movies, like superheroes uh, sort of movies, we like to identify ourselves with the superheroes. Like, we think we have more chance of helping the world, rescuing the world, than we are ruining the world. But the reality is, I think we are a lot closer, closer to the villains than we are to the superheroes. Let me explain to you why. Because what happened to these supervillains happened to all of us, right? We all started good. No prostitutes in the world started off as a little girl wanting to be a prostitute. Am I correct? All of us want to do well in life. But the world pushes us down to a certain path that sometimes we don't want to take. Life happens 
to us. Bad upbringing causes us to do things that we don't understand. Bad, broken relationships cause this tear in our, in our lives that, that we don't always understand or, or know what to do with, right? So these things happen. Uh, unfairness happen. Brokenness happen to us in our world. Sometimes people do things to us that we don't, that we don't have any control over. So then, what do we do? That's what happened. And sometimes we turn bad. Sometimes we enjoy being bad. That's the problem. Like these people, these villains, they don't want to be helped by Spider-Man. A lot of us don't want to be helped by other people or by God. We somehow love it when we fall down. It's weird, I know, but we love being angry. We love being, alcohol, being an alcoholic. We love being addicted to something. Somehow, you know, rage gives us power, we think. That we have something that, you know, ah. But that's just the reality of life. So people are not born bad. We are made in the image of God. But life corrupts us. The fallen world combined with our own fallen nature makes us who we are today. I believe, I believe, sin is not just an offense to God. Obviously, we disobey God. God gives us some rules to protect us, you know, for our own good. But essentially, sin is not trusting God, right? Not trusting who He is, not trusting His character, and not trusting that He means well for us. So in a way, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah, sin is offensive to God in that sense, all right? But on the other sense, it's like we have been tricked by our enemy. It's like a parent telling his son, you know, son, don't talk to strangers. Be careful of strangers, right? Listen to dad. I want you to be safe. So when your little child talked to a stranger and got kidnapped, you're not mad necessarily at your child. He's a child, right? You're mad at the kidnapper. You're mad at the bad guy. So sin is, is more of an illness, in that sense, a chronic illness that happened to all of us, right? We can't help it almost, like, you know, also, also, um, don't get me wrong. We do have free choice. We do have free will. But there's this tendency in every single one of us that, that corrupt us, you know? And that's why when Jesus came, he said this, and this is something, like, amazing that maybe people at the time never heard it before. When Jesus heard this, Heard what? People complaining that he spent so much time with Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, and his friends. When Jesus heard their murmur and their complaint, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So according to Jesus, our condition is more of an illness, right? Chronic illness that he came to rescue. And that's what Spider-Man tried to do. He tried to free these people so they can get back to being who they were before they became villains. That's what Jesus came here to do. I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they're not perfect. Those who know that they are sinners. And the reason why he did what he did was because of his amazing love for you and for me, which brings me to a second question, right? I only have two questions today, and this is the most important one of all. The question is this. 
is your thinking about God's capacity to love greater than your own capacity to love? I want to let you ponder this for a second before you answer too quickly. What do you think? Is your thinking about God's capacity to love greater than your own capacity to love? If the answer is no, it's the same, then does that mean that God is no better than you? Is, God, is your thinking about God's capacity to show grace greater than your own capacity to show grace to other people? Is your thinking about God's capacity to show mercy greater than your own capacity to show mercy? Is your thinking about God's capacity to be inclusive of all kinds of people greater than your own capacity to be inclusive? Great question, right? It's a question that I'm fearful to answer because the answer is clear. The answer is, yeah, no. God's definitely a lot, lot better than me. I can't love some of the people, to be honest with you, I can't love some of the people that come across my path. If anything, I would want something bad to happen to them. If anything, I want to curse them. If anything, you know, I want to destroy them. That's me. Okay, just being honest with you. If I have this idea that God's ability to love is just the same as my ability to love, then I definitely don't worship the right God. All right? If His God, His capacity to show grace, to show mercy, to show love, to be inclusive, has got to be greater than mine. And the proof is in this very famous verse that Jesus said to us, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him shall not die but have eternal life. Now, this is a very familiar verse to us, and we we brush it aside thinking that we know, we understand. But no, I don't think we do. I don't think we understand this verse. I don't think we fully grasp the meaning, the, the depth of this verse. If you change the word the world with, say, for God so loved tax collectors. Yeah, we understand that. We read it in the Bible. Yeah, Jesus loved tax collectors. Awesome. For God so loved prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, we read about Jesus hanging around prostitutes and Jesus gave them, you know, a second chance. Like, oh, amazing. Yeah, we understand that because it's so far removed from us. How about make it closer to home? For God so loved the people that I hate. For God so loved that really bad neighbor. For God so loved that obnoxious co-worker in the office. How about this? For God so loved pedophiles. He gave his one and only son. Talk about super villains, right? Green Goblin, Dr. Otto, Electro, pedophiles? Are you sure, Daniel, God loved pedophiles? I can't imagine if that something terrible happened to my son, to my girl. I don't think I can forgive. I don't think I can show grace. I don't think I can show love. That's why we're not God. 
you see. See, we don't know the backstory of some of these people, right? I read about Hitler. He, he grew up in a broken, broken home. His father hit him like 38 times at one point. His father just was so abusive. They, they kept fighting, you know, his mom and his dad. And then when he was about eight years old, his mom told him, you got to find your own love, son. You're not going to get it from your dad. You're not going to get it here. Do we even care? When people do something bad, when we read about a crime or something, do we stop and wonder, I wonder what happened to that person that he turned to a life of crime? I wonder what's going on in someone's head that they could be a pedophile. I wonder what's going on. Like, you know, if something terrible happened to my son, man, I'm telling you, i <laughs> just going to be honest, I don't think, I don't think I can honestly do what I know I'm supposed to do. But that's why we're not God. See, when we talk about love, we think we understand. We think we know, but we really don't. And we speak about love a lot in this church, God's love for us and all that. And we think like, ah, oh, come on, we need to move on. We need to move on to something deeper. We need to move on to something more challenging theologically. We need to move on to something more doctrinal. You know, like, ah, oh, we all know about the love of God. We all know this already. But do we really? Do we really? Do you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Can you really say that you are a good follower of Jesus, knowing all the right theology and doctrine, but then you're unable to love or at least learn to love the way Jesus told us to? I want to leave you with this last verse before we go. This is Paul's prayer for the people, the Christians in Ephesus. He said this, I pray that you being rooted and established in what? In truth? I used to think that truth is everything. I used to think that, man, man got to have the right doctrine. Man, i got to have the right theology. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, we don't understand everything. That's why we have so many different denominations. That's why we have so many differences. Even among theologians, there are differences of opinions. So yeah, it is important that we learn the truth, right? But listen to what Paul said being rooted and established in love, that you may have the power to grasp. To grasp what? How wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And listen to this. This is like, almost like an oxymoron, right? He actually contradicts himself here. And to know this love that is unknowable, basically. I want you... I'm praying that you will know this love that surpasses all knowledge. So he's, he's asking us to know something that we, can, we cannot possibly know in full. So why ask God for this then, Paul? Because Paul wants you and I to know that we can never, ever, 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 ever understand the amazing love that God has for our world, yeah? We think we are a select group of people, the only group of people that God loves, and everybody else deserves their fate. They go to hell, they go to hell, you know? But no, we don't understand, I'm telling you. We don't understand 
the amazing love of God for our world. I want to leave you with one final story. You're all familiar with the parable of the prodigal son where a father who had two sons gave one of the sons, the younger one, his inheritance even while he was still alive. So this younger son went to a faraway place, squandered all his wealth, you know, while living, sinful living, whatnot. And then he lost everything. He became so hungry, he couldn't even eat the food the pigs were eating. So he decided, not in repentance, because I don't think he was repentant, just out of hunger. I better go back to my father's house, because in my father's house, at least the servants, the slaves, had better food than, than, than here. So he decided to come home. Let me ask you, if you have a son who failed you, if you have a son who's gone away, you know, embarrassing you, doing all kinds of stuff that you were not proud of, and this son of yours called you and said, Dad, Mom, can I come home? What would you say? Can they come home? For those of you who are good parents, maybe you say, of course they can come home. Yeah. They're our son, right? Of course they can come home. But the question is, would you throw them a party? Would you celebrate inviting all your neighbors? Or would you let your son come through the back door and let him settle for a little bit and maybe asking him a couple of questions? Maybe he's going to embarrass you again. Maybe give him a probation a little bit or something. Right? But this father, man, he was hoping, waiting for that son to return. Knowing from the look of the son, so skinny, scrawny, bad smelling, hair out of place, like terrible. My son must be hungry. He must be so hungry to be looking like this. Hey, let's throw a party for him. Let's invite the neighbors. My son has come home. Even though he embarrassed me, even though he stole from me, that's the Father's love for you and for me. And if you want to call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus, there's no greater evidence of us understanding more and more about the love of God than when we show that love to the people around us. Without judgment, without reservation, without, you know, condition, we learn. How about that? Huh? That's a key word, learn. Let's learn to love like Jesus. And to me, this is deep. To me, this is as deep as you can get. Because faith that doesn't show itself in love is useless, right? It's useless. So let's all learn to love each other. Learn to love our community. Learn to love the people here in the church, our own family at home. Learn to love them. How about that? Huh? More important than having the corner on truth. More important than everything else. Let's learn to love the way Jesus loved. And when you do that, you're displaying the glory of God to this world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.